It's no accident that the car ramming took place. It's domestic terror. Very fine people on both sides. You had people in that group, excuse me, excuse me, I saw the same pictures as you did. I've never seen so much hatred in the eyes of my fellow human beings in my life. We have overcome a lot in our democracy. We've overcome McCarthyism, we've overcome segregation, and we're going to overcome this. And I think we are having a huge debate right now around what's the difference between free speech and hate speech. Welcome back to Overcoming Extremism. I'm Mike Signer. I was the mayor of Charlottesville, Virginia during the Unite the Right rally in August 2017. Overcoming Extremism is a journey into the heart of American democracy as we explore together how democracy can overcome extremism in a challenging new era. We are sitting down with folks who have dealt with extremism firsthand. Mayors, prosecutors, faith leaders, activists, journalists. Together, their stories provide important clues to how democracy can and must rise to this challenge. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. Summer Ali's story is so extraordinary, it might seem to come from fiction rather than nonfiction, but we are including her very true story in our journey in this podcast into democracy's conflict with extremism because her experiences and her actions are such a good example of how we can innovate from within democratic norms and institutions to deal with homegrown extremism. Summer is a Muslim American woman who grew up a country music fan in Tennessee before becoming a high-powered attorney. She worked as a White House fellow where she designed counter-terrorist protocols focused on radicalization. But after she moved back to Tennessee to work for the governor of the state, she became the target of a vicious smear campaign trying to frame her as a potential terrorist who along the way would impose Sharia law and shut down the Jack Daniels distillery, all completely false. Instead of becoming a victim, however, she chose to engage with her attackers, and she saw an opportunity to flip the script. And she ended up founding a new organization that will create connections between marginalized and mainstream groups through conversations and honest information, and that will disrupt the narrative that can create what we call otherization, and in turn, create a safer and more inclusive society. I'm delighted to bring you this conversation. Hope you enjoy meeting Summer Ali. My life growing up was, for the most part, filled with adventure and fun. I grew up in a small southern rural town called Waverly, Tennessee, and it's also the same town that Loretta Lynn calls home today. So for those who are country music fans, they'll be familiar, they'll be familiar with that. And I was the youngest, and am still the youngest, of five children in a first-generation American family. 
My father's Palestinian and my mother's Syrian, and we also identify as Muslims. And it was interesting growing up as a Muslim in Waverly in the 80s and 90s. And uh, my friends and I met each other with a certain level of genuine and authentic curiosity that, that was healthy. My parents had me in a Baptist school, and then they had me in a Catholic school. And I was also going to the mosque on the weekends in Nashville, Tennessee, which is up the road by about an hour and 15 minutes up the road from Waverly. And after I, we had decided that they had thoroughly confused me, um, they enrolled me in the public school system, which is where I stayed from fourth grade till I graduated from, from high school. And to this day, when I go back home around Christmas time, I'll go and spend time in either the Baptist church or the Catholic church or the Church of Christ in town. And I'm an Arab and I'm Semitic. And I know that part of the world very well. And with that comes certain customs and traditions that I cherish and that have also shaped my value system that I think is consistent with um, the American value system. I don't think they're in conflict with each other. And I'm a believer in Islam and, and I consider it to be one of the three Abrahamic faiths. And that shaped, that shaped how I exist in the world. Summer went to law school and she served as a White House fellow where she helped design a framework to identify radicalized extremists before taking a prestigious position as an aide to the Republican governor of Tennessee. So she was dumbfounded when she found herself the target of an online conspiracy meant to paint her as an enemy of the people just because she was a Muslim. Yes. So almost immediately, three weeks into working in the Haslam administration, I became the target of an anti-Muslim smear campaign. And it was a modern day character assassination campaign um, that included social media attacks, fake websites, billboards, campaign marches and protests against me, newspaper ads, resolutions. Uh, it was well-funded and it was relentless. Basically, I call it character assassination campaign 2.0 because there was an attempt at the same thing when I worked as a White House fellow, but it really picked up momentum when I moved back home and to Tennessee. And I was accused of trying to bring Sharia law to Tennessee and trying to infiltrate the federal government and the state government along with the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. Sounds just awful. I mean, what was that like? Personally, yeah. I know that you've got a very, I mean, we're, we're going to talk about what you have done as through resiliency and, and to create something out of this, but what was it really like? It turned my life upside down. It was tragic, and I felt like I was fighting for my life. I was fighting for my sense of belonging in my own home. It's like the lawyer became the defendant at the same time. And there's something that you've called a scare script. What, what is that? Yeah, I think that this this is basically a textbook scare script situation. And the scare script creates the environment for targeting individuals and groups that are regarded as threats anywhere. It explains how a buildup authorizes a, like a crackdown, um, including like the ones we are witnessing against Muslims, like myself in the United States, which I'm calling the Muslim scare, which is similar to McCarthyism. And depending on the content, like action ranges from 
criminalization to mass murder to denigration and much in between. And countering the script everywhere includes the United States requiring at least three steps, um, understanding how it works and how it harms. Number two, connecting the community of those who share the same concerns about the momentum the scare script is picking up. And three, cooperating to build effective responses. And those responses include prevention and slowing down the movement of the scare script while reaffirming core social and legal values of mutual respect, common humanity, and the equal protection of the law. When they gain a certain amount of momentum, all people who identify with the community that is that they have categorized as the other and as the target of the scare script, all bets are off on how far this will go against them. Mm. And that's when you see violence against the other. And so when I saw those norms and I saw those values against the other picking up and me being the other, I realized that we were in a crisis situation. So you started having some breakthroughs or, or insights into how to dissolve this, I guess, how to put into practice what you're saying. Tell us those stories. Yeah, I realized that going back to the point of connecting the community, that that is key. And the way in which we connect the community and the way forward is by having conversations humanizing each other and focusing on progress and actually addressing the fear and the situation head on. Conversations that we have reinforced by fair and accurate digital messaging and engagement allows us to break through the existing narrative. And so it's a narrative that's building momentum against the other. And so you need to figure out how you disrupt that narrative. And the best way to disrupt the narrative is by face-to-face conversations. You had personal experience with these face-to-face interactions in the wake of this horrific inflammatory attacks on you, right? Where you met individuals and you were able to create a connection? Yes, absolutely. And it happened very naturally. It wasn't forced, it wasn't staged, it was authentic and it was genuine. People started coming up to me, members of the Tennessee State Legislature, for example, I was giving a speech at about six months after the attack started and when it was safe enough for me to speak publicly again. It was actually at the Murfreesboro Chamber of Commerce. It was a rainy day and it was late January and I stepped off the stage and a woman came up to me and she asked me if I knew who she was and she seemed nervous. She said, you should know who I am. I'm a member of the state legislature, and I was one of the key members who led the protest against you, as I thought you were a terrorist, but you don't look like a terrorist. And I had an option. I could either <laughs> I could either be upset and angry, or I could engage with her, and I chose the latter. And uh, she said, well, you can't, I mean, you look like us. She used those, that kind of language. She said, you look like us. You look normal. I said, yes. And she said, but you don't identify with those Muslims. And I said, well, I am a Muslim. And so I explained to her how I was a Muslim. And I explained to her how I was a Tennessean. And I said, I identify with you as well as a Tennessean, as a fellow American. And she then said, but you don't follow that book, the Quran. And she was struggling to come up with words. And I said, I do follow the Quran. But I think that the misunderstanding here is that what you've been told the Quran says and what I believe the Quran says are two totally different conversations. And that's actually the conversation 
conversation that we need to be having. But at this moment, we are both on the state's dime, and I don't think that we should be having this conversation on the state's dime, and so we should go for coffee. And we did continue the conversation, and that was the first of many conversations I had with other members of the state legislature and other people across the state, including the one that I had with another senator in his office a few weeks after that. And we met for an hour and a half, and we engaged directly. He asked me if my intention was to shut down Jack Daniels. And I explained to him why that was not my intention and why I would never try to shut down Jack Daniels. And we talked about why he thought that. Wrongly, he thought I was trying to impose Sharia law. Right. And then based on that, he thought that part of Sharia law was banning alcohol. And so I, therefore, was infiltrating the state government of Tennessee because I wanted to shut down Jack Daniels. You're probably just as shocked as I was by these stories. But on the basis of these experiences, Summer came up with a really unique idea, just the kind of project that we want to highlight on this journey into democratic resilience, into the ability of our norms and institutions under stress to rebound and provide solutions to the extremism that's coming from within democracy. The goal is to build bridges across divides and to mend critical divides, because that's what's going to make us stronger and hold us true to our country's motto, e pluribus unum, out of many one. We are stronger together. We need to focus on our commonalities. We don't need to focus on our differences. We need to meet our differences with a curiosity that's a healthy curiosity that makes us better. If we begin focusing on our differences, it's the beginning of the end, in my opinion. Yeah, so the project is called Millions of Conversations, and it's immediate a campaign that's structured to change the narrative about Muslims in America today and to take our identity back and to create an ecosystem for Muslims and non-Muslims to thrive alike and to depoliticize our national security laws, which are being politicized at the moment. Um, And I feel that by engaging in all different levels of media, from broadcast media to digital to print to radio, that we can begin to disrupt the existing narrative that's simply not not accurate and not right. And it's to scale these conversations like the one that I've been having so that we have millions of them around the country, not just with me, but with Muslims and non-Muslims alike happening in every state, in every city, and in every county across this country. Can you tell us more, a little bit more about the specific activities of Millions of Conversations? What states are you going to be active in? What media are you looking to, to communicate through? It's a national media campaign that also focuses at the local and grassroots level. The first six states that we're focusing on specifically um, include Ohio, California, Texas, Tennessee, Florida, and West Virginia. Wow. There are strategic reasons for those six states. And we, on on the media side, we plan to be at the local level and at the national level. So local level being writing op-eds about topics that are important and both to the Muslim community and to the non-Muslim community. We're not only interested in talking about Islamophobia today in our country, although that's very important, but we plan to focus on 
key areas of conversations that we believe Muslim voices have a role to play in the national conversation and local conversation, including women's empowerment, violence and safety in America today, encountering violence, encountering extremism, also job creation. Muslim Americans, for example, are three times as likely to be unemployed in America, according to Pew. And about 40% of Muslims in America today are at or below the poverty line. So I believe that there's a disconnect and we need to, we need to talk about that. And we also want to have Muslim voices discussing bullying in America today and cyberbullying. I mean, for example, I consider myself to be a victim of cyberbullying and I can consider myself to be a victim of bullying. Why was Summer focusing on those six states in particular? What what was it about California and Texas and all the rest that made them so special when what we call otherization, you know, making enemies of, of others, is certainly a national problem affecting nearly every community? This was based on six months of research that we did last year to identify where there has been an uptick in Islamophobia and where we have strategic Muslim voices that can counter the Islamophobia in those locations. So Orlando, Florida is an example. Chattanooga, Tennessee is another example. Um, We found that to be the case in Ohio and also in San Bernardino, California, and in Houston, Texas. And then West Virginia is is another state that we picked because of some of our strategic alliances that we have in West Virginia. So it sounds like you're really going, focusing on hotspots, for lack of a better term, areas where they have become flashpoints and you really have a, a, both a need and an opportunity to foster these conversations. Exactly. A need and an opportunity to foster these conversations and also to create mechanisms that gain momentum that counter Islamophobia. Along with millions of conversations, Summer has decided to share her life story in the hopes of connecting with more Americans in an upcoming book called From the Holy Land to the Heartland, Olives and Sweet Tea. It shows that her political activism stems not only from her experiences, but from those of her family going back generations. It's a nonfiction novel that follows my family's trajectory starting from my grandfather in 1918 when he was born, the year that Sykes-Picot was implemented in Syria um, to today and our struggles today. And my grandfather is actually he was a orphaned um, Syrian refugee in the 1920s that found his home um, being burned down by the French at the time when there was resistance to the French occupation in Syria. And after many struggles, he rose to power in the 1950s in Jordan in the parliament only to be met with serious opposition after he called for to constitutionalize the monarchy. And he was constantly struggling for and fighting for freedom and peace in that part of the world. And my father continued that struggle. Um, and he learned a lot at Howard University as a um, civil rights activist there in the 1960s. And then that continues forward into what we're, what we're struggling for today. Sounds fascinating. 
As a White House fellow, Summer actually developed a framework for more accurately pinpointing the process of radicalization so that it could be disrupted. Listen to how she describes how that framework explains her own experience and what she's trying to accomplish with millions of conversations. So the spectrum, you have positive on the left, negative on the right, and you have neutral in the middle. So we'll start at neutral. So you go neutral, and so and at the at the far right we have what we call extremism slash radicalization. And then you see so you have neutral, sympathetic to extremism, radicalization, vulnerable to extremism, radicalization, and then extremism, radicalization. And people are at different points on that spectrum in their journey. We want to get to people before they've radicalized. So we want to catch people when they're vulnerable to that state or they're sympathetic to that state. And we want to move them along the spectrum to neutral and eventually to neutral positive. And that takes time and that takes interactions, both in person and online. By whom? Law enforcement, teachers, who, who are the, who's doing Everyone, the intervening? the community. And so it takes a deliberate disruption of the radicalization process. And is that what Millions of Conversations is such a yes. enterprise? Yes. We are designed to disrupt the radicalization process across the board. And so daily you're focusing on it and you're seeing it both at home and around the world. You begin to see patterns and then you think about how do I disrupt those patterns? And that was the other thing I thought to myself. It was, okay, if I want to prevent attacks before they happen, how do I go about doing that? And I also consider myself to be a legal design strategist. So it's how do I design the mechanism that's going to disrupt the radicalization process? So as you have gone about this work, both in the federal government as an advocate, you know, creating your own programs, how is the possibility of interfaith collaboration? What's the promise that it offers? Jews working with Muslims or Muslims working with Christians? It's key. I mean, this is part of the ecosystem. So I consider all of these interactions of people from different backgrounds and different faiths and different identities coming together and disrupting those boundaries and those silos as positive. We're human beings at the end of the day. And I also believe that we have a lot in common and we feel like we have more in common than we have um, differences. I've always believed in them, my mind and my heart and my soul. And I believe that now more than ever. And I think that human beings are capable of respecting each other's rights and of respecting each other's equal rights. And we need to strive for that, as I think that that is actually a value that is consistent with all of our faiths. And I, I believe as Muslims and Jews that we're both marginalized minorities in this country that have faced discrimination and continue to face discrimination. It is our in our interest to work together, and it is not in our interest to be at odds with each other. And and I think that the fact that many people will argue that we are at odds at each other is a myth. Mm-hmm. And I think that noting that the majority of hate crimes in the name of religion in America today are against Muslims and Jews, we need to work together to get that number down and to try to work so that there is zero hate crimes in America against Muslims and Jews. I've always felt that we have a lot in common, and I think that anti-Semitism and Islamophobia are real, and anyone who thinks otherwise today is in denial.
Despite her negative experiences and the brutal divisions inside our country, I was especially looking forward to hearing Summer's answer to the question we are asking every guest on this podcast, which is, are you optimistic or pessimistic about democracy's ability to overcome extremism? I think that we have no choice but to be optimistic. And I think a functional democracy is one that promotes individual rights. And I believe in the value system of this country and the principles that we adhere to. I think that we, our rhetoric needs to reflect this. We truly need to be reminded of what we had decided during the civil rights movement was the direction we wanted to go in. And as I watch, for example, the Chinese government placing Muslims in concentration camps at alarming rates in this decade, I can't help but feel that it is important for democratic values to be supported at the very basic level in this country today. Well, Summer Ali, I want to thank you for taking the time to share with us not only your extraordinary story, but your, your insights in the work that you're doing to personally overcome extremism. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Summer Alley is an attorney in private practice in Nashville, Tennessee, and the founder of Millions of Conversations. You've been listening to Overcoming Extremism. Overcoming Extremism's partners include the Anti-Defamation League, the Fetzer Institute, the Charles Koch Institute, the Ford Foundation, Lowell and Eileen Aptman through the Soros Fund Charitable Foundation, the John Pritzker Foundation, Comcast, NBC Universal, Democracy Fund, New America, Georgetown University's Institute for Constitutional Advocacy and Protection, the Aspen Institute's Justice and Society Program, and Defending Democracy Together. Overcoming Extremism was produced in Charlottesville, Virginia. Our producer is Elliot Majerzik. The opening theme was created by Poddington Bear and Elliot, composed and produced the musical interludes and the closing music. I'm Mike Signer. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.